Hi, and welcome to episode 70 of 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. The rum in this episode is a bit of an indulgence, but if you're inclined to sip a rum neat and have a few extra dollars to spare, treat yourself with the Mount Gaze 1703. Also in this episode, I'll revisit Falernum, specifically making Falernum at home, something that was first on the show back in September of 2013. I also have a few notes on the Home Bar Basics book and website, and finally I'll make a classic Caribbean cocktail, the Corn and Oil. So set your Wayback Machine for 1703 and travel with me to Barbados for episode 70 of 5 Minutes of Rum. Mount Gay 1703 was one of the first, quote, luxury rums, end quote, I had in my collection, and it was not one that I paid for. As I mentioned in the open, this rum is a bit expensive, at least for a rum. Scotch drinkers will probably not bat an eye at the price, but anyway, back at Tiki Oasis 2012 at a Martin Kate symposium that I've mentioned on the show before, the task in that symposium was to create a tiki cocktail that would help prevent an alternate timeline in which fern bars of the 70s had become the norm. In other words, you had to create a cocktail to save the world of cocktails. Each table had to submit an entry for judging, and each table had a mass of ingredients to choose from. Uh, I ended up creating the recipe for our table, and we won. You can go back to episode 18 of this here show and listen to uh, listen for The Man with the Golden Rum. It's also in the Smuggler's Cove book as the Golden Gun recipe, uh, so you can find it there as well. Anyway, the prize for the table uh, was that everybody got one of two rums, either a Brugal 1888 or the Mount Gay 1703. Now, fortunately, my wife was also at the table, so we ended up getting one bottle of each. I've savored this uh, Mount Gay 1703 slowly over time, not wanting to fully deplete the bottle, even though I really enjoy it, because I didn't want to make myself pony up for a new bottle, frankly. Um, I think the old version of the 1703 retailed for around $100. Now, this year, Mount Gay released a new version of the 1703, and I talked myself into buying a bottle as a special occasion. And so here I am with a report on a rum in this episode that I wanted to talk about, but one that I also couldn't convince myself to use in a cocktail. Uh, bear with me here. We'll get to that later in the show. Now let's start with doing the tasting of the 1703. Um, the appearance, there's, there's pictures of this in the show notes so you can see it in all its uh, gory details. Uh, there's a handsome, unique bottle, as you might expect from a premium product. Uh, it's a squat, wide, and shallow bottle. Uh, the top is a cork set in a wood stopper. The previous bottle I have is very similar, but the top is metal with a real cork. Uh, the labels are different between the two, as you can see in the pictures. Um, go have a look. The bottle is really nice. Uh, it's a nice presentation, as you, like I said, as you would expect. As for the rum, it's a medium amber in the bottle and not at all dissimilar in the glass. Uh, the aroma is very pleasing and easy on the nose. It smells like rum, not like a barrel, uh, maybe a hint of sugar without smelling it sweet. Um, and some light booziness. Now, taste, I have a little bit here. Um, it's got a nice heft to the body, uh, some good heat in the tongue, um, and notes from the aging process. There's a complexity that speaks to the aging as well as the production method. Um, I, don't, I didn't know at the time of tasting, I know now, but I didn't know at the time how much is pot stilled, but I had to think that there was some pot still in there. Um, I'll also remark that this blend of rums is um, so well executed that there's very little interest in picking out notes. I would just happily kind of sip this all night and just kind of let it wash over me. Uh, the finish, finish is very nice, very mellow. Uh, normally I look for a warm lingering finish. This has a somewhat muted heat, but it's so smooth that I really enjoy it uh, despite the lack of overwhelming heat. Uh, to sum up, this is just a really well-made professional rum for the sake of rum. I don't recommend mixing this, uh, pour it out in small doses. And when you have friends over for a special occasion, pour them some, make a toast and then accept all the accolades you get for choosing such a great spirit. Now, I wanted to also do a side-by-side, -side since I still had some of that bottle from 2012. 
Um, and since this blend is recreated, I thought it'd be interesting to compare the two um, to the bottle I won at Tiki Oasis 12, uh, currently on its last legs, um, if you'll pardon the expression. The, like I said in the, uh, the appearance, the appearance itself is pretty much the same. The aroma isn't too different either, uh, so the blends at least seem consistent to that point. Now, when tasting, uh, my impression was that the 2012 blend might be a little bit more assertive and have more barrel notes. Um, it's hard to say because the bottle has been open for almost five years, and that may play into it as well because there is some oxidation that, that will come into play over time, even if you keep the bottle lidded uh, and corked. Uh, and the 2012 bottle was previously one of my favorites, but I think that on the 2016 might start to exceed it. Um, also, if you want to read more about this rum, and particularly a really nice review of this rum, there's a link to Josh Miller's uh, review in the show notes from the Inuakana site. Uh, spoiler alert, he also likes this rum quite a bit. So let's talk a little bit about Mount Gay, the distillery, and this rum in particular, and how it's produced. The Mount Gay distillery is on Barbados. Um, I discussed Mount Gay Eclipse in episode 32, but here's a little refresher on the company itself. The Mount Gay distillery lays claim to the uh, origination of rum, or Kill Devil, as the locals called it. Uh, Mount Gay is an entity originated in 1703, so now we have a title. Uh, the titular Gay is Sir John Gay, an English businessman who, in a story almost too fantastic to believe, and I'm not sure I 100% buy in, uh, was friend of one John Sober, who had inherited the Mount Giloba, excuse me, Gaunt, Mount Gilboa plantation and distilleries from his father. Now, Sir John Gay was asked to run the distillery and was so good at his job that the company changed their name in 1801 to honor him. Now, as a rum from Barbados, it's a relative to the likes of uh, Richard Seal 10-year rum and, the, and other products from Foursquare, as well as the Plantation 5. Uh, Barbados rum is a product of molasses, proprietary yeast for fermentation. Uh, generally speaking, Mount Gay's fermentation is around 72 hours and distillation in both copper pot still and column stills. I'm not sure how much has changed since the Ministry of Rum article on Mount Gay in 20,000, excuse me, 2009 was published, but at that time it was said that their barrels were used only three times and that they have over 4,000 barrels in use and aging rum in their warehouse. Now, production of specifically of the 1703, um, earlier in the year, like I said, Mount Gay released an update to their 1703 line of rums. Uh, it is a limited edition product with about 12,000 total bottles to be produced and distributed. It is a blend of copper column and copper pot stills from Mount Gay's uh, older reserves. The, the distillate itself, or for the rum, is from their older reserves, not the stills themselves. Anyways, those uh, older reserves range from 10 to 30-year-old rums. So in other words, old reserves of aged rums, rums that were aged on their own, are selected, then put together as a blend, and this subsequent blend is then aged again in a cask as this new entity not so much for more aging as for resting and letting the different rums meld together. It was created by master blender Alan Smith, who is also responsible for Mount Gay Black Barrel and Mount, they, they are introducing Mount Gay Black Barrel and Mount Gay XO cask strength. This blend is what they're calling an annual batch. So this year's run is it, and presumably next year will be a new single batch sold under the 1703 name. Some of the details on this year's rum, like the uh, year in the cask, are also on the bottle's label. Now, where to find this rum? I picked up my bottle from a local wine and spirit store called Wade's Wines. It retails for around $130 a bottle. So yeah, compared to what I normally uh, would buy, it's super expensive. Uh, later in this episode, I'll bring up another rum at a more reasonable, reasonable price that can be used in the cocktail, the corn and oil. Your local premium spirit store or online are your best bets if you want to find a bottle of 1703. Oh, and of course, the name is a reference to when Mount Gay became an entity via a legal deed that noted that the existence of a pot still at their um, location on Barbados. 
There are claims of rum being made on Barbados as early as 1663, but the first official document listing property is from 1703. So that's the, uh, the origin of the name and the reason why it's dated. And changing gears a little bit now to Falernum. Uh, Falernum has come up in many cocktail recipes that I've had on the show, and the making of Falernum was discussed previously in episode 11. There's a link to that in the show notes if you want to go back and have a listen to that. Now, I've had a note to try to make an alternate home Falernum recipe for a few months now. I had read that some people omitted the fresh lime juice because it either spoiled or didn't stay as vibrant as they'd like. Uh, this isn't really a problem I've personally encountered, but I did want to try, try the alternate recipe. Um, I've always used the recipe posted on postprohibition.com, and it's also found in Beach Bumberry Remixed and is commonly known as Falernum Number no. 9. The originator of that version, Paul Clark, uh, named them with a version number as he tried them. So number 8 was very similar to number 9. Number 9, and in this case, added the toasted almond element. Uh, it seemed his number 10 was number 9 with no fresh lime juice added. Now, also while reading about various Falernum recipes, I encountered the version published by Jeffrey Morgenthaler, his was very similar to number nine, but with a different rum and the added step of soaking the cloves in the rum for an extra two days up front. So by now it was starting to seem like if I really wanted uh, in on this, I was going to have to try and make my own rum, uh, my own tweaks to the Falernum. Um, of course, I've never had an old recipe Falernum, an original recipe Falernum, so I'm just going by the existing framework and making small adjustments to see what the differences are. Um, I'm not, in this case, trying to create the one true Falernum. Now, I did have some of my normal Falernum as the control, uh, since I know that ver I know I like that version, and I'm going to try a modified version of Falernum uh, number 10. So my changes are uh, three. Uh, I'm not doing the four and a half ounces of fresh lime juice in the finished product. I am soaking the cloves in the J-Ray and Nephew two days in advance, and I'm going to use a two-to-one simple syrup uh, where I usually use a one-to-one -one simple syrup. So from these changes, I can see where I will have at least a sweeter syrup uh, due to the omission of the lime juice and changing from a higher uh, sugar to water ratio in the, in the syrup. Um, and I don't know what will that do in the final product. It's going to be better or worse. Uh, well, it's unknown when I sketch this out. I, I, I know more now, obviously. So here's the process I used. And there's pictures of these in the show notes. There's these processes in the show notes as well. Uh, I soaked uh, about 40 cloves in, a six, uh, in six ounces of J. Ray and Nephew for two days. Then I added the zest of nine limes um, and two tablespoons of toasted slivered almonds and one and one half ounces of peeled fresh ginger uh, that I then uh, julienned, added that to the rum and the cloves, and then that mixture was soaked for another 24 hours. And after that last 24 hours, I added in 14 ounces of two to one simple syrup. That was a cold pressed simple syrup, so to speak, uh, and one half teaspoon of almond extract. The cold press uh, reference is really just saying that you're not heating that syrup, you're combining two ounces, excuse me, two ounces, two parts of sugar to one part of water, and then uh, stirring or shaking that until it dissolves. It takes a little bit longer, obviously, than heating it, but you end up with uh, a little slightly different syrup as opposed to a cooked syrup, uh, a little bit crisper. Um, once that uh, is all put together, you stir that and then shake it together uh, to combine. So then I lined up the, uh, the taste test. So side by side, when you put them next to each other, and you can see a picture of this as well, the newer version is much more green, uh, possibly because of less dilution from the lime juice, where you know, like the Florinum number nine has more lime juice that's going to dilute some of that green color that the extract had. Um, differences in taste and aroma. Uh, now, you know, and for science sake, I should say that I didn't have them at the same temperature. Falernum 9 was pulled from the fridge. Uh, Falernum number 70 was at room temperature from when I made it. So uh, Falernum number 9, a little nutty, uh, mostly lime and a sweet aroma. 
Uh, initially sugar with heavy lime on the tongue and then some spice on the finish. I uh, found that crisp, but was more like a, a spicy lime cordial than anything else. Now, the, the newer version that I tried, what I dubbed Fuller NM70, uh, was more toasted almond and spicy and less sweet, which was a little surprising to me since the syrup was uh, a higher sugar ratio. Uh, much heavier mouthfeel, mouth more spice and not as lime forward. The toasted almond is really pronounced, and I think I would probably dial back the extract when not adding the lime juice just to kind of balance out a little bit of that almond flavor. Uh, outside of a cocktail, I didn't really like the two-to-one syrup mix, but the flavors are more balanced. Uh, my next experiment will be in the same recipe. Like, Again, I'll use the same recipe that I used for Falernum number 70, but I'll try that with a one-to-one simple syrup and maybe a quarter teaspoon of almond extra- extract, um, and I'll go ahead and venture a guess that I'm probably going to like that as well. So there you have it. Uh, there's a reason Paul Clark had so many numbered versions of Falernum. Uh, you're trying to follow an old syrup that doesn't really have a strict recipe, and there are just enough components to make experimentation interesting. So this is the part where I would call to action if I were writing a blog post, what's your favorite Falernum recipe? Now, how about the Home Bar Basics book and website? Now, if you don't already, already own a copy of the Home Bar Basics book by Dave Stolte, well, then you may have a little work in front of you, but it's well worth the hunt. It was published in 2011, and it is a small notebook-sized spiral-bound book that fits easily in your pocket um, and has just what the title says, solid basic info for sourcing cocktail elements and making cocktails at home. It also has fantastic illustrations, also by Mr. Stolte. Uh, there are a list of retail locations for the book on his companion website, which is linked in the show notes, but because the book has been out for six years now, they may be scarce. Resourceful listeners can probably find a secondhand copy via markets like eBay, though I personally haven't checked. Um, but let's get back to the book itself. Now, as I mentioned, it's a great primer for someone looking to build out their home bar. And in the case of the 12 basic drinks, the recipes come with a couple of paragraphs of story to tell you where the cocktail originated. Now, as he on his website, he works in um, some not-so-basic recipes there. Excuse me. The book itself has some not-so-basic recipes. There's less story on those, but each recipe is dated and sourced. Now, on his website, he also has some other recipes, and those are the ones that have a much more backstory. So I actually found the story of the corn and oil, not really knowing what the name corn and oil was, from Dave Stolte's site. And not just that, he actually talks a little bit about the name Falernum as well. So uh, the story that he has on his site uh, goes that the native Arawak people of Barbados, um, up until maybe in through the 15th century, they had the place to themselves. Then uh, colonial explorers come over, um, the, uh, the native Arawak people leave Barbados and, um, the Spanish actually had brought pigs with them. And so pigs became native to the, uh, not native, but they came introduced to the, the, uh, uh, Barbados Island itself. The English, uh, came to Barbados in the 17th century. Um, and then at some point Arawak people came back, but that was after the colonial, um, retreat. And, and actually it was, uh, and the, the land was vacated by the, uh, explorers. We'll just say that. Now, early in the 18th century, uh, German Protestant ministries, uh, missionaries had arrived in Barbados. Um, that was around the same time that uh, Barbadians or Bayesians were learning how to distill rum from molasses uh, left over when they were making sugar. Um, and following the production of rum, they came up with the uh, homemade liqueur of rum, ginger, lime, almond, and allspice and clove known as Falernum. Uh, Falernum, of course, from the Latin name for the popular and coveted wine grown by the farmer Falernus in the foothills of Mount Mosico in Italy way back in biblical Roman times. So how did the uh, Bayesians get their name for their Falernum? Uh, probably came by the way of these German Protestant mission missionaries who brought that term with them through the Bible. 
So now we've got Falernum named, but how about that corn and oil business? Now there's references in the Bible to uh, the harvest that come in the reference in the form of a reference says thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. So uh, with that many references to agriculture, um, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say that the, you could shorten that to corn and oil to represent the mixture of rum, falernum, and lime, um, and then have that be the name of the cocktail. So uh, in all likelihood, uh, it is the result of uh, missionaries coming and, um, and having reference points for things that already existed on Barbados. But anyways, that's how you get corn and oil potentially, and that's how you get the name falernum. So all that talk about corn and oil and falernum, we should probably get to the recipe. So the version of the corn and oil that I'm using in this episode comes by way of the Smuggler's Cove book. Um, you're going to see it uh, be a little bit different than most of the other recipes that you'll find online. Uh, most corn and oil recipes that you see online involve using a dark rum, very often Cruzon Blackstrap, likely attempting to achieve the titular oil look. Now that's a fine enough endeavor, and it's the way I've made several corn and oils over the years. But with a recipe this simple, you really want to elevate each component. And frankly, it makes more sense to use a nicer rum than a blackstrap in this cocktail. So I've taken the entry from Smuggler's Cove book to heart, and I only make this drink with aged Barbados rum now. And I'm better for it. I could use the 1703 here. It certainly fits the bill as a blended aged rum from Barbados. But I think moving down the product line a little bit um, would make more sense. And so I'm going to use the Mount Gay Black Barrel. And now I realized I've talked my way into another rum for this episode. So how about a quick set of tasting notes on the Mount Gay Black Barrel? Starting off with the uh, appearance, it's a nice amber color that you can still see through when you look through the bottle or the glass, so not completely opaque by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, when it comes to aroma, uh, there's some astringency on the nose, uh, especially after swirling it in the glass to aerate it a little bit. I also picked up uh, some pepper and some other spice, maybe a little bit of leather on the, on the nose as well. Uh, when it comes to the taste, uh, much more pronounced barrel notes than the 1703, but as, as we'll get to in a moment, that's by design. Uh, the taste is relatively dry with a little bit of heat, um, not really sweet at all. Now the finish itself, it's a nice finish, uh, not too lengthy, and uh, leaves the palate pretty dry overall. So this rum will likely set you back around $28 for a 750 milliliter bottle. Uh, it's bottled at, uh, I believe, let me check here. It is uh, indeed 43% alcohol by volume, so it's a little bit more than a typical rum. And I probably didn't mention that for the earlier rum, the 1703. That is also a 43% alcohol by volume. Uh, anyways, uh, it's a blend that's meant to entice whiskey drinkers who may not have rum on their radar or who have a specific and likely wrong idea about rum as a spirit category. The Black Barrel is a blend of aged double pot distillate and aged column distillate. Once this blend of individual elements is put together, it is then aged again, or finished, if you will, in a very charred, you know, the same way Vivian is very metal, uh, very charred barrel. Uh, those are bourbon oak barrels. Thus, you can see where the rum is taking on elements familiar to a whiskey and a whiskey, and would be familiar to a whiskey drinker. All right, now that corn and oil. The recipe for the corn and oil, one half ounce of Falernum. Here I'm using my Falernum number 70 two ounces of a blended aged rum from Barbados, in this case, Mount Gay Black Barrel, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Add everything to an old-fashioned glass and then fill with crushed ice, and then swirl that until the glass uh, gets frosty, and then sip slowly. Now, when tasting this corn and oil, to me, this seems like the ideal version of the corn and oil uh, realized in a glass. There's plenty of rum flavor, there's a nice spice from the Falernum and some almond notes, and then the bitterness of the Angostura bitters. Uh, it's not cloyingly sweet, it's frosty and refreshing, 
Um, serve it using those uh, small diameter cocktail straws in order to really savor the taste. Uh, listening to Adrian's recent episode of Inside the Desert Oasis Room podcast with Sven and Boris reminded me uh, how much the smaller diameter straw helps a cocktail over the straws that you typically get, which are designed to facilitate quicker drinking. So that's the, the, the that's not the goal, the quicker drinking. The taste is the goal, and the smaller straws help with that. Now, incidentally, if you've made a big batch of Fullernum and you like the taste of it, one suggestion I found on the internet, uh, and that's not always a good idea to follow suggestions on the internet, is to invert the corn oil measurements and make an oil and corn. That would be one half ounce of rum and two ounces of Fullernum. Unless you've got a really sweet tooth, I don't recommend that. Uh, I tried one and needed fortification of Demerara and OFTD to make it even remotely potable. So you can try it. Your mileage may vary, but I don't think that's a particularly great use of your Fullernum. <laughs> That's it for the show. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5, minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can rate the show there. You can even leave a review. The show is also on Twitter and Instagram as at 5 Minutes of Rum. Again, that's at symbol number 5, Minutes of Rum. Please send in any comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter or on Instagram. And now, go get some rum. <laughs>